What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Previously on the Simply Human podcast. So he he writes me back like two hours later and he says, I think it was fake news. <laughs> and I wrote and, and I wrote back, like, whoa, for real, four question marks. And then he writes back, I shouldn't say I think, I just left his house. Whoa, <laughs> <laughs> oh, are you serious? And he goes, Nah, you got me. Grab me skin. Yeah. Yeah, it's episode 154 of the Simply Human Podcast with your hosts, Mark and Rick, two dudes just living the dream. No? I hate when people say that, by the way. How's it going? Man, just living the dream, brah. I don't get it. You have a lot of people saying that, huh? I, I, yes, I run into that often, and it's... I never run into that. Apparently, everyone I work with... with is not living the dream. Ah, nephew. All right, well, have a good one. Well, on today's show, it is Rob Wolf, and it's an hour-long interview, so this intro, there's not going to be much of of an intro here. We're going to get right to the interview with Rob, uh, and then at the end of the interview, it's, that's just going to be it. And so coming up... On the show, we do have an interview uh, recorded with the great J.J. Virgin, fake name, Um, and she is very famous, and she's been on Dr. Oz and Dr. Phil and other things, and she has a new book coming out. We're going to talk about... Talk about you need to get real. You need to get hi, real, okay? Hi, All right, JJ Burton, you need to get real. Cash okay. me outside. How about that? Uh, stop it, stop it, stop it. You are uh, like my mom. You were like a month late to that. Well, Sorry. We could uh, we could do a whole segment on that chicka. Um, no, I'm not planning on doing that. Not going to do it. You'll just hang up if I start talking about it. She is a victim <laughs> of, uh, of her own family. She is yep. what they've made. Yep, that is correct. Um, other things, Jason Seib has is out with a new book. We are going to his birthday was yesterday. Uh, for the record, I love birthdays, and uh, we are going to have him on to talk about his new book, of which I am mentioned in. <laughs> Another chapter called Jackass. <laughs> just a ranking of it's idiots. Just, it's just, it's just, it just opens. You open the page and it says like chapter twelve, jackasses, and on the page it just says Mark Rogers, period, and that's it. Well, then it would just be jackass. Uh, so so the point actually. I thank guess. you, thank you. Okay, so let's get to the interview with Rob, uh, the JJ Virgin interview. I think we said we're going to record for that next week. We do have a funny segment we're going to do uh, dishwasher talk, of which you couldn't remember which kitchen appliance uh, we were. That was yeah, funny. That was- <laughs> so I kept meaning to type dishwasher, but I kept tying, uh, typing fridge. fridge. Yeah. I had no idea why the refrigerator was on my head, but yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. it's a kitchen appliance. So there's I had a kind of a funny, not funny, sort of a long, elaborate story of which we'll get to of funny uh, components. Man, I hope now, now that you've built it up. Dang it. It'll be a, it's a moderately funny segment. Um, and then, you know, we're just going to see where this goes. We have some other, uh, let's see, how about... Rachna Patel uh, and medical marijuana. 
I'm gonna we're gonna have this person on. Dr. Pagel has a background in emergency medicine and completed her medical studies at Torrey University College of Osteopathic Medicine, her undergraduate studies at Northwestern, practicing the area of medical marijuana since 2012. How about that? Does that sound like a plan? We got an email from that person's like publicist or something. We're gonna have a medical marijuana show. I feel like perhaps you and I should talk about uh, my involvement in that off air. <laughs> <laughs> okay. May not may not be. Uh, I don't know. Whatever that means. Okay, let's get to the interview. Well, I'm a professional policeman, and I can't really do a podcast with someone who's saying, yeah, everyone go out and get burned. No, we're saying medical marijuana. We're not telling, we're not saying that it's okay in Texas. We're saying here are sample questions. How addictive is it? Is it possible to use it without getting high? How does medical marijuana work as an anti-inflammatory? What are your thoughts and claims that medical marijuana cures cancer? There's all sorts of fun things written all the questions out already. Yeah, sample questions. It's the kind of interviews that I like. Just do the work for me, and then I can just get back to going to <laughs> taking a nap. Okay, Rob Wolf. We talked to him about his favorite part of having daughters, dogs as pets, his background, optimum foraging strategy, hyperpalatability, binge eating ice cream, the dessert effect, willpower, thermodynamics, community favorite body part, which is funny, uh, worst, like worst fear, uh, his middle name, his favorite song, uh, guessing his birthday and taking a moment to count one's blessings, the great Rob Wolf. We have been waiting for this moment for so long. Really, I mean, you talk about a man that needs no introduction, especially with our community of listeners. When you say Rob Wolf, I mean, everyone just kind of like, I think, kneeling down to one knee. Is that kind of the thing that you get, Rob, when you're walking around and people just sort of... Absolutely, know. because usually people lay down and take a nap once <laughs> I show up because they're like, oh, this okay, Yeah, so, so the first yeah. thing they do, they go down to a knee and then they're all the way on the ground and they're sleeping. Okay. And yeah. they're sleeping. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> well, Rob... Way, I've always found it somewhat ironic that like uh, the thing you say right after you say a man that needs no introduction... Is an introduction. An introduction yeah. Somebody. Because if he needed no introduction, we'd just go right into it. Right. It's yeah. like saying, this This can go This can go without being said, and then you say it. You know? <laughs> I, I never, I've never understood any of that. Well, Rob, I have so many things uh, that, that on my list here that, that we're going to talk about, including how does porn relate to nutrition. Um, mm. But uh, it's in his book. Uh, so, yeah, I've got, gotten through most of your book, at least the first half of it, um, up to nice. the, the plan. And really... You know, it's it's a lot of the, you know, for somebody who's been following your work, it's really nothing new, but there's still a lot of cool stuff in there that just, like, you want to highlight and all that. So we're going to get to a bunch of that. Before we do, I thought, I have two daughters and a son, and I believe I believe you have two daughters as well. I do. I was going to just quickly, in a little human, a human element segment, just kind of talk about what is your favorite part of this. Rick has two sons, so he doesn't know the joy and the disaster of having daughters. <laughs> so what is your favorite part of the of the, the two-girl thing? Oh, man. Um, that's a really good question. I mean, it, you know, and both girls are so incredibly different. different. Yes. Um, Zoe is uh, pretty easygoing. She's the oldest. She's four and a half. Um, Sagan is two and a half. And uh, a little more hard-headed i would say a little more mean-spirited um like she will go and uh punch her older sister which i i wasn't really too sure how to handle any of that and so here's here's where like everybody will be like rob wolf is a horrible parent but um i had this one older kid who was a total pacifist a younger kid who was a little over the top on the physical you know, uh, uh, attempt at domination deal and so i told zoe i'm like if your sister hits you you punch her in the nose and I showed her how to ball up her fist. And, and, uh, for, I don't know, maybe a month, month and a half, um, three, four times a day, I would hear Sagan start crying in some back bedroom and I'd wander in there and be like, did you hit your sister? And Sagan would say, yeah. And I said, did your sister hit you back? Yeah. Well. And I'm like, so you see cause and effect there. And it, eventually she was like one day, literally Sagan came up to me and she's like, dada, I probably shouldn't hit Zoe. And yes. I'm like, why is that? And she's like, well, it's not nice and it really hurts when she hits me. I'm like, okay, there you go. Parenting done. <laughs> right. <laughs> Natural <laughs> consequences. It's like if yeah, they if they yeah. or just refuse to wear their coat and it's freezing, 
It, right. it, it takes <laughs> one time for you to say, okay, you don't need your coat. And then they're miserably freezing. And then guess what they'll never do again? Leave their right. coat. Yeah. So, okay. So what, this is a question and I have an answer to this, but I want to, I want to know what your answer is to this question. The thing that you were looking forward to the least as a dad with daughters. Um, this is going to sound kind of horrible, but um, the e- even right now, the most annoying feature of raising my kids is everybody else's kids. Uh, <laughs> it, it's uh, it, it's kind of so we, we my wife got a dog not that long ago, and she's doing an amazing job training him. I mean, he sits and stays and go to place, and and he's a big dog, so like he needs to be well behaved and. Um, we stay on top of our girls a lot and I'm not a complete prick, but at the same time, like they, they will be little heathens if you let them. And, uh, the vast majority of the people that I see in the world, uh, have this sense that similar to the way that I see them quote, train their dogs, which is actually zero training. They're, uh, they're, they're anthropomorphizing their dog and, Oh, it's a part of the family and all this stuff. Yes. And the dog is, is, a, a liability, like it's a yes. dangerous animal, even if they don't think it is. And so um, we are really a lot more tight with the girls. But then when when they go out to eat or we're on an airplane and people are like, wow, they really behave and they listen. And I don't have a lot of stress because I even though I always keep an eye on them, if we are walking through a, a parking lot or getting out of a car or something, I'm really not in the back of my head wondering, is one of them going to bolt out into the road? Now, yeah. I'm always watching them. <laughs> right. But we have friends that they're like, well, I mean, I just can't put little Jimmy down because he's going to run out in the traffic and everything. And I'm like, well, that's ridiculous. Yeah, that's you like know? an like indication it's... of the other, you know, 23 yeah. hours and 30 minutes of the day or in 30 just seconds. Being, yeah. yeah, just being really misspent. And so it, it sounds horrible, but like I, I can see right now the most difficult feature of raising my kids is going to be interfacing with almost everybody else's kids. <laughs> and that sounds like a super prick elitist thing to say. Um, uh, I know, understand like, what you're saying, though. Yeah. I'm just really, really consistent with the girls. And, and it's... um grueling and exhausting but it also like that's my job as a parent not necessarily to be their friends but to teach them what the lane lines are to exist yeah. in and then when they get older then i'm going to explain to them oh yeah these lane lines are somewhat arbitrary and may or may not apply to you but if you, you know if you act like an animal you don't have any decisions that you can make you right. just react to things and so um trying to get them to be, you know, human beings so that they can use both their emotions and the logical part of their brain so that they can navigate this stuff. And so that's that's going to be very interesting. And it probably will end up not being much of a factor because after people listen to this, they're like, screw the wolf family. Like, yeah. <laughs> Well, so. that was a very long and very smart answer. Mine was like uh, when they start their periods. That's uh, that's what I'm looking forward to the least. So. Well, thanks a lot, Mark. Uh, you really. Uh, <laughs> All right. So let's I, move on. Well, I, th- th- all of that stuff, like one one thing, Nikki's just you know really good about all that stuff, and also I guess having a little bit of a medical background, like I'm not really that. Yeah. That freaked out about it. Well, and, and our mutual friend Jason Side, he's got three daughters. And mm-hmm. he has kind of the become an expert on all things menopause and menstruation and uh, birth control and all and body image things like that. And so um, I kind of uh, use him as a okay here. He, so he sort of talked me off the ledge on some of that stuff. And so I feel like I'm going to be at least I'll be prepared. Um, right. And when that right. when all that stuff happens, but uh, it's funny what you say about dogs like being part of the family. Like we we had dogs first. And then, so they were like our kids and then we have kids and now our dogs are like, we're just like, we just like leave the gate open. Like, would y'all please just leave <laughs> and never come back? Like you're right, such a liability. Right. Like we hate dealing with them. Rick has a dog that pooped in his closet one recently. So there's just, why do we uh, have yeah. dogs? Man, anyway. It was the, uh, so uh, not to diverge too far out in the weeds, but uh, <laughs> Nikki has wanted a dog for ages and she was working me, working me, and I'm like, listen, we're really close to having both kids out of diapers. I've got this book launch to do. Let's wait until the summer, and we're good to go. Yeah. And next thing I know, she is driving me to Carson City, which is about 30 miles south of us, 
And it wasn't to go to the bunny ranch to see hookers. It was to go get <laughs> an 80-pound, five-month-old puppy. <gasps> okay, my parents had a Rhodesian Ridgeback. Um, it, it yeah, they're amazing dogs. Amazing dog, yeah. but he had never been given any training. He didn't know, like, he had never come inside a house, so we didn't know what a doorway was. He had never ridden in a car, <laughs> so I had to carry him in and out of the house to go pee, and uh, the oh first three gosh. days that we had him, he didn't poo because he was super nervous, and then like two in the morning, like Rick. I heard him yeah. shuffling around, and then I heard what sounded like a giant soft serve machine <laughs> go to town on my, my carpet, and, and mind you, um, over the summer, like we just came out of a six-month-long complete down to the studs remodel so like everything in the house is immaculate and great and uh and so at two o'clock in the morning um i i get awakened by um this dog literally made a poo that was bigger than a bowling ball because this was like three or four days worth of backup and i said to nikki i'm like yeah the dog is crapping all over the carpet and she's like i've got that like it is literally the closest we've ever come to separating like i was looking at uh <laughs> condos condos and stuff i'm like i got more and more mad and nikki was like you hate me i'm like i opened up my computer and showed her the screen i had open which was like local condo rentals and, and you know, she's like, i'm like yeah i'm gonna take the girls and you can have your gd and dog yeah. like i am <laughs> Oh, that's funny. She's a horse and not a dog. I yeah. think maybe you got tricked into buying a very tiny horse. horse. Yeah. Well, Rick, Owen. Remember Owen? My parents' dog, Owen, was a uh, uh, yeah. Rhodesian Ridgeback. Um, and and uh, he got sick and passed away. Uh, but he's uh, he will forever be remembered as a great dog. Um, okay. So now that we've had daughters and dogs talk. Um, Definitely had lots of foreplay on this. Yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> so let's, uh, let's dive in. And actually... Um, the last, like, I guess last two years, uh, my wife and I have been in Chico, your hometown, um, with, speaking at the JASA retreat, you know, with Sarah Fergoso and John, and, and they, they've become really good friends of ours, and so we sort of have that also as a, as a mutual connection, but um, just kind of a side note. So let's talk about your, I know, like, a lot of people listening to the show, like, I feel like you probably feel like you've talked about your, your background a lot. So just kind of give us the Cliff's Notes, how you got to where you are today. Yeah, sure. Um, I've always been very interested in human health, human performance, and I think part of that was an outgrowth of actually growing up in a a family that was very unhealthy. Both parents smoked. My dad drank. uh, Both parents ended up developing type 2 diabetes in their late 30s. My mom had a bunch of autoimmune conditions. They were both really, really sick. And I had a super sneaky suspicion that if I did some things differently, like I might have a little bit of a a better, you know, kind of life trajectory. And so I've always been interested in health and human performance and whatnot. I did an undergrad in biochemistry, uh, was doing some kind of bench benchtop research related to lipid metabolism as it relates to cancer and autoimmune disease. But right during this time, I was actually experiencing some really significant health problems. I had uh, what ended up being ulcerative colitis that was so bad that uh, normally I walk around about 175 pounds, pretty lean, reasonably muscular. I was a former California state powerlifting champion, but at the low ebb of my ulcerative colitis, I was 130 pounds due to malabsorption. Like I was, I was literally starving to death, even though I was putting. 4,000 calories a day down my pie hole, like I just wasn't absorbing it because my gut was so inflamed and had so many problems. And it it was right around this time, it was around 1998, that this idea of a paleo diet or an ancestral health type approach got on my radar. I did some research around that, tracked down some of the work by Art Devaney and Lauren Cordain, eventually did a research fellowship with Lauren Cordain. And I, I guess kind of Long story short, I, I tried this kind of lowish carb paleo way of eating and it, it just it healed me like for lack of a, uh, you know, better terminology. It was just profoundly impactful on me. Um, I, I think literally saved my life. And so it, right at this time, I was trying to figure out, am I going to go a research track? Am I going to go to medical school? And when I learned about this kind of evolutionary biology approach, thinking about sleep, food, exercise, photo period, community, I was kind of like, man, uh, 
the mainstream medical process seems like a really indirect way to start helping people. Like I'm going to spend four to eight years learning about disease and pathology and then, you know, then start helping people. And so it was right around this time, which was uh, 2000, 2001, that I stumbled onto this wacky thing on the Internet called CrossFit. And my buddy Dave Warner and I started working out in his gym. He's a retired Navy SEAL. And before we knew it, we had about 15 or 20 people coming to Dave's gym to get trained by us. And so we reached out to the Glassmans, uh, who were the CrossFit founders, and we said, hey, we want to open a gym. We want to call it CrossFit. Can we do that? And they were, yes, please do it. Go be achieved. And that was the first CrossFit affiliate gym in the world. And then didn't you and, also uh, have like the third or the fourth? I did, we had the first and the fourth. Yeah. yeah. And then moved back down to Chico, California and opened up what was then uh, uh, CrossFit NorCal, eventually NorCal Strength and Conditioning. Uh, that was the fourth affiliate. And so if people like CrossFit, they oftentimes think that's cool. If they hate CrossFit, <laughs> then it's kind of like the Antichrist right. for being involved in spreading, you know, what was essentially like a syphilitic canker across the, <laughs> the face of fitness, as some people see it. So, um, yeah, it's very polarizing, yeah. very polarizing. Yeah. 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 Cool. Okay. So, um, Let's talk about you. You gave a talk at PaleoFX last year and kind of brought up something that I had never heard of, uh, uh, called optimum foraging strategy. And and I want you to kind of we're gonna kind of go down this path a little bit. And basically, the the point of the talk was people that are obese in Western culture have like have done nothing wrong. They're doing exactly right. what their brains are telling them to do. So kind of explain that because you know the the uh, the the stigma is all oh, these obese people they're they're they have no willpower. They're they're lazy. They're bad people. That's kind of how they're viewed. So let's talk about that. Yeah, and they're they're viewed that way both from the inside out and the outside in, and it, it, it's incredibly injurious and and misplaced to, you know, whether you're looking at yourself that way or, you know, being perceived that way. But so this optimum foraging strategy is basically like a little bit of thermodynamics, which just means like energy transfer. And it's a, a whole lot of economics. And it, it really boils down to any organism that moves to get its dinner, um, whether it's an herbivore or an uh, omnivore or a carnivore, it's got to get more nutrition, more calories, more nutrition than what it spends trying to get that stuff. And, uh, it, you know, it may sound kind of kind of far afield, but it, it's it, if you look at your bank account, if you consistently spend more than you earn, you're going to end up bankrupt. And, and similarly, organisms that live out in the wild in the real world, the way that everything lived up until, you know, relatively recently, even humans you had to get more than what you uh, spent in, in obtaining that food. And so that process really made us in particular as opportunistic omnivores, it made us very, very good at finding food, at uh, having a, a palate, a sense of taste that would tell us what type of nutrients were in it. Was it sweet? Did it contain a lot of fat? You know, those things become very, very interesting and engaging for us. And it kind of wired us up to seek that food out. And once we get a bunch of that food to lay down and rest and don't run around burning excess calories because you didn't really know when the next meal was going to happen. And so that's really optimum foraging strategy in a, in a, a nutshell and the implications for today. And, and to the point that you made, we now live in an environment where we can max out optimum foraging strategy. So you want to get as much as you can for as little effort so you can jump on the internet, order food to your front door, have it delivered to you, pop it in a microwave. Um, you you could maybe walk a couple of hundred steps all day if you work from home and sit in your underwear and don't shower and don't mm. go outside. That, from an optimum foraging <laughs> strategy standpoint, is maxing that thing out. You are giving up nothing in with regards to like calories and energetic costs, and you could sit in your underwear watching YouTube and, and, you know, eat 10,000 calories a day. That's a huge win from like an evolutionary biology perspective and clearly not much of a win when we start thinking about chronic degenerative disease. And so that, you know, the, the goal with the, the book and all, and talking about optimum foraging strategy is if people can really understand that that's the way they are wired to eat. Like if, if you get that bag of, uh, 
you know, um, sea salt and vinegar potato chips. And you're like, man, how can I eat that whole thing? It's like, well, because that would have been smart engineering in the past. And that, that engineering maybe isn't serving us so well today. And if we just understand that, maybe we can diffuse some of the emotionality around food. We still need to do something about it if we want a different outcome. But, you know, if people are, are, uh, crushed by the sense of failure or misplaced morality or guilt, like we can't even get them started. Right. And so this is really just kind of an orienting kind of, kind of thing to help people get started. Well, and you mentioned the book and then I, I remember watching this on TV, the man versus food guy was at, is Adam right. something was his name. Yeah, uh, yeah. He's uh, eating the ice cream challenge and he gets to a point where he can't eat any more ice cream. And, uh, he eats like some French fries and then finishes the ice cream, and so right. that kind of leads us into this this idea of hyper palatability. And the, I, didn't you have the Dorito effect author on your show? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Sh- yeah, yeah. Good. Awesome. Yeah, awesome book. And yeah. so let's talk about this hyper palatability where we have stripped flavor away from nutrition, and so our bodies are like our brains are confused because it's like, hey, this tastes like it should have something nutritional. Uh, you know, combined with it, but there's no nutrition. So we just need to eat more of it and how, right. you know, sweet and salty used to be very hard to find, which is why we have this, this big reward, uh, you know, in our brains. And now it's like you go into a convenience store and that's all there, that's all the, that's all there is is sweet and salty. Right. And yeah, I mean, Seven Eleven has more options than any, you know, king or emperor in the history, the history of the world had access to yeah. up until very, very recently, you know? So, yeah. Um, you know, so, so I guess setting the stage for that. So we talked a little bit about optimum foraging strategy, but there's a dueling banjo kind of counterpoint to that, which is called palate fatigue. And palate fatigue is a phenomenon, which even if you have the tastiest, most delectable item you can imagine, like ice cream or pizza or, you know, what, what have you, you will get bored of it at some point. So on the one hand, we have a, a drive to eat and obtain as much calories and nutrition as possible, doing as little as possible. But then we have another piece that even if we are flush with a particular item, we will get bored of it and, and we will want to go seek something else out. And there's reasons for that related to getting a variety of nutrients. So we get, di- you know, different variety of Vitamins, minerals, antioxidants, if you just ate all of one food, it'd be very easy to get uh, nutrient deficient from that. And then the other side is all the plant material in the in nature contains toxins. And so this was a strategy for kind of minimizing or, or varying uh, toxicant load. But in the modern world, this example, uh, Adam Rickman's Man versus Food, his ice cream Sunday challenge, uh, you know, that... It's really fascinating. So it's a, it's an eight pound ice cream Sunday. I want to mm. say something like that. Five pounds, you know, it's like eight pounds of ice cream, uh, hot fudge, sprinkles, the whole nine yards. And he gets in and starts eating this and he gets partway through really only about a third of the way through. And he just bogs down and he starts turning literally green. And like some of the video you can see him he's kind of gagging trying to get another bite down such a f- crazy american show <laughs> it, it, it totally is and uh, and then he does something that would make most dietitians just scratch their heads unfortunately because he orders a plate of extra salty extra crunchy french fries and he starts eating a little bit of french fry and eating a little bit of ice cream and he is able to finish the ice cream sundae but get this He's able to finish the food he would have been incapable of finishing by eating more food. He throws in a plate of French fries that probably back of the envelope was another thousand calories. Yeah, at least. <laughs> at least. And and this is something that like my whole book should really just be, the, you know, this this video. And I, I do a talk around this stuff. And I, you know, I could really drop drop the talk down to like basically two slides. But. Just I, I would really encourage people to to stew on that for a second. Yeah. So the guy could not finish the ice cream unless he ate the French fries with it. And what are the implications for that? Like he the the, the implications are if we have a huge variety of food options, if these food options have been tweaked and fiddled to be hyper palatable, to be particularly tasty, creamy, sweet, salty, savory, what have you then that is going to bypass the neuroregulation of appetite, the, the process that tells us when we've eaten enough 
and we can just keep eating and eating and eating. And this is pretty well documented in the literature. It's called the dessert effect. You know, yep. it's like uh, you have your basic dinner and you're like, oh, I couldn't eat another bite. Dessert tray comes out. Oh, lo and behold, you can eat all kinds of extra stuff. Yeah. But I think that it's a really powerful, you know, a, a image and story for people. And then we need to take that information and make some informed choices about the way that we structure most of our meals and most of our our days. This is why in, in the implementation part of the book, I it, it, similar to the first book, uh, I, you've got to clean out the house. Yeah. Like you can't have a bunch of dodgy food options, uh, you know, just hanging over your head. And that will vary from person to person. Like I'm not really that motivated by sweet stuff, but salty, crunchy stuff. Like I already mentioned the sea salt, you know, uh, uh, vinegar, uh, potato chips. Yes. Like there oh is, my gosh. There is, there is no, actually, I don't know that I would reach out fatigue on those before I just died from consuming <laughs> them. So, you know, everybody has a different trigger or triggers and those things can change depending on, you know, if you're sleep deprived or for, for women, depending on where they are in their cycle and stuff like that. And none of this needs any type of morality or guilt around it. It's just having some awareness and then planning accordingly. You know, yeah. if you if you don't want to test your self-defense skills, then you don't hang out in dodgy parts of town and, you know, late at night. And if you don't want to challenge your, um, you know, your your. Uh, you know, sense of of uh, being able to avoid delectable foods, then for the most part, you just don't keep that stuff in the house. And right. then if you want it, go out to eat or maybe you, you have some special event or something like that and just kind of let it happen organically. But th these are some of the little strategies that grow out of understanding both the optimum foraging strategy and the palate fatigue and how our modern food environment is really set up to work against that stuff. Rick, hang on before you, I know you got a question, but yeah. did you, no, okay, man versus food. Did you watch that show like a lot or did you just watch like a couple of episodes? Like Rob. Uh, oh, uh, uh, you know, we, we don't do a ton of TV, but we, we used to do a lot of HGTV and that thing just popped online. And I want to say it was like five years ago. Okay. But this well, if you stuck in my head, yeah, there's and, there's and one. I knew I would use it at some point. Yeah, yeah. he eats a uh, a hamburger that has like the ghost pepper on it. Oh, and he well, oh. and he and he can't finish it. And it's in San Antonio, Texas. And I just wanted to brag about myself that I actually I finished the hamburger that he didn't finish. Anyway, <laughs> I just wanted to throw that out there. That it was the worst thing. Is the worst decision I've made in my life. Um, <laughs> and okay, here we go. <laughs> I'm really happy that we're talking to you today because this is perfect timing. I'm actually competing in an ice cream eating contest at lunch today. So now we know what are the fries. Yeah, well, yes. well, that's how I that's how I dominate this thing. Fries or hot dogs. Hot dogs can work too, but the fries are crunchy, so that that's the bonus. Hot dogs and fries. Ooh, uh, right. Yeah. Right. Okay. But seriously though, like uh you kind of touched on it for a second, but listen, ice cream tastes good. French fries taste good. Doritos taste good. I'm not uh, blowing anybody's mind here. They're horrible for you also. I'm not blowing anybody's mind there. What is the key to, uh, I guess, I don't want to say like tricking your brain into saying I'll have this giant salad with uh, kale and spinach and chard and a healthy, uh, you know, uh, uh, real, uh, real dressing and all that. Like, what's the key to doing that instead of going, oh, forget it, I'll just run to McDonald's, it's over here. Is it literally, is it just willpower, or is there something else that kind of you 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 uh, expound to people? Well, I mean, the, the willpower piece um, just fails. And it, yeah. it, it's, it, you know, willpower is a very short-term effect. Um, that gets whittled away with sleep deprivation, with stress. There's this whole concept of decision fatigue yeah. you know we start our day and we've got a full bucket of decisions that we can make and by the end of the day we're done on decisions and so um you know you you need to set yourself up for success and so if you have terrible options at home or no options like you look in your refrigerator look in your freezer pantry and there's just nothing in there and you didn't throw anything in the slow cooker you didn't have you, you know you didn't make things easy you're going to be like, okay, not only is starting from scratch going to suck because it's going to be so much work, but there's this easy thing right down the road that I could do that's going to taste really good. And, oh, man, I'll throw in a chocolate shake on top of it. And won't that be wonderful? So, it, you know, there's no, 
this notion of willpower is really, really, really misplaced. Um, I, I, I made the point in my first book, you know, I don't care if you're male or female, like if you end up at the, the Playboy um, mansion and you're, you're all dosed up on ecstasy and beer, like you're going to end up sleeping with a bunch of people. <laughs> no matter what your friend hey, let, me, is. Let, let me write that, that down. Hang on just a second. No, well, I, think the, I think the line from that was an ecstasy soaked beer binge at the Playboy mansion, but it was out of the pale. That's really weird. I have a tat. I have a tattoo that says that exact same thing. On my, I, on my I, I, this is why I like you guys yeah. so much. I have that on a throw pillow. Evolution. Yeah. But, you know, and that may sound a little crazy, but I mean, just again, asking people to kind of stew on that. Like, is there any, is there any truth to that? And it's like, yeah, okay. I, I, I kind of get it. And on this, um, kind of refined packaged food story, uh, you know, it's easy, it's generally accessible. And so you do need to just set things up. You know, if you have something that's pretty good, like you have a good, good quality cut of meat, or even there's some really cool stuff that, is coming out where it's like grass-fed meat, although you don't have to do grass-fed, but I kind of recommend it. But, you know, like salmon or meat, uh, beef or lamb, and it comes in some sort of a, a pre-made good quality sauce. And these things are, you know, in little freezer packs. And so you can thaw it out in like five minutes, just putting it in a bowl of warm water and you cut the thing open, cook it on the stove. You've got some frozen veggies in the in the freezer. And literally about 10 minutes down the road, you've got a phenomenal home, you know, home cooked meal that really isn't that challenging and tastes pretty damn good. Um, did it taste as good as an in and out double, double with a chocolate vanilla swirl, um, you know, uh, 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 you know, ice cream deal? Probably not. But at the same time, it was easy, accessible. And if you just find yourself every once in a while wanting to kick your heels up and do that other option, then by all means go for it. But it's that, it's that day-to-day consistency. If you eat three meals a day, seven days a week, that's 21 meals. Um, two of those meals could probably be reasonably off the rails and, and uh, you know, not deflect you too far away from, from health and wellness. It really depends on how crazy you go. If those two meals look like the ice cream sundae challenge, then we, we probably have some problems. Right. But, you know, it, like you've – there's a certain amount of planning ahead if you – it, it, you know, people get to work every day on time um, because there's a certain amount of planning ahead. You wash your clothes in, in advance. You lay them out. You uh, you know where your car keys are. You know where your phone is. You set an alarm. And um, some of this is, is similar to the food. But again, we have a, a really complex, very stressful world that, um, you know, makes that stuff challenging. Like, I, I think Americans on average sleep about three hours less um now than what they did in the 1980s which sets us up for all kinds of problems but the reason why they sleep less in general is because we're generally working more so right. there's just that much less time available for some of these elective processes like shopping and making some reasonable choices while shopping actually cooking our own food and all, all that type of stuff yeah we're i, I want to shift gears to to some of the other things out, away from nutrition but i know rick you have a question i just have one okay so you hit on like some but like uh, i'm not obviously an expert uh although huh, i look like one uh so you touched on like some third thermodynamic stuff earlier with your optimum foraging strategy and basically like uh to uh, summarize it. It's, uh, you basically, uh, have to, your body evolutionarily wants to consume more calories than you expend, uh, finding those calories. So would logic say on the other side of it, then it's a question. If you have uh, fat that you want to lose, it's a question of spending more calories than taking them in. Is it because I've heard what I feel like is almost conflicting information, calories in, calories out, that's horse crap. It's the kind of calories you eat. Uh, but I've also heard like, hey, you have to be running a deficit. Uh, and that makes sense kind of to me. But talk a little bit about that. Yeah, yeah. It's a really good question. And hopefully I, I, I do honor by it with a <laughs> decent answer. But so, so, you know, everything gets dropped into these polarized, you know, it's either this or that. And so for a long time, we had these two kind of warring camps that was either calories in, calories out, and they would support their position by, you know, like metabolic ward studies and some starvation studies and, and whatnot. And, uh, 
clearly if you calorie you know restrict people they're going to lose weight and but then there's this other side of the kind of hormonal picture oftentimes kind of couched in the insulin hypothesis clearly um the different types of food that we consume whether or not we're exercising what type of sleep we get dramatically alters our hormonal profile which influences our appetite and also influences you know if we're burning excess calories is it mainly muscle or is it mainly fat and and so those are really important considerations and so there's a lot to be learned from both of these and the real bone that I have to pick with the calories in, calories out folks is that they don't seem to understand that everybody doesn't live in a metabolic ward. We live in an environment where you could literally pull into a 7-Eleven and have thousands of different flavor options and people can, you know, turn their nose up at it and, and, and all the stuff and act like it's not appealing. But, you know, like a chili cheese dog from 7-Eleven is probably going to taste reasonably good, particularly if you chase it with like some Reese's peanut butter cups. And, you, you know, like I could put together something that, again, like Genghis Khan would have dreamed of having a meal like this out of right. 7-Eleven. And people just have this weird emotional thing where it's like, oh, it's a low quality food or whatever. And it's just ridiculous. You have to step back and think about what's accessible for the vast majority of people. And so, um yeah, I, I'm not sure if I got too far out in the weeds on that, but, you know, understanding this um, this interplay between the hormonal profile and the the uh, calories in calories out piece. The real trick is to figure out a way that people will eat the food that's put in front of them, enjoy it enough that they stick with this and then they spontaneously reduce caloric intake. And what we've found time and again that is really effective in that regard is some sort of a nutritional approach that is pretty aggressive on the protein side. And then if people are insulin resistant, tends to be lower carb, higher fat. If people are overweight but insulin sensitive, then maybe they're a bit higher carb and lower fat, a little bit more classic kind of bodybuilder ratios. But you, you can't over the long haul. It's very, very rare that you have people who will willingly starve themselves for some sort of a goal. And most of these people end up in like the – fitness competition, bodybuilder scene, um, just to, you could make an argument that just about to a person, these people will have disordered eating behavior and uh, in that, in the thing that's driving them is a degree of neuroses that is able to make them cope with, you know, extended periods of starvation. But most right. people are just not willing to do that. Yeah. And, and so this is where, you know, it, it's some... Uh, Instead of being ham-handed about it, you've got to have some degree of nuance. Like calories in, calories out is meaningful, but it's meaningful within the context of the hormonal profile. Because if we get the hormones right, then our neuroregulation of appetite is in place. And then we spontaneously reduce caloric intake and our hormonal profile looks good. So it, it all kind of goes together. But it, it would be beautiful if it was a simpler story of just reduce right. insulin and you're good to go or hey eat less, move more. But now that we understand optimum foraging strategy, the recommendation of eat less, move more is 100% opposed to our basic genetic wiring. Yeah. And the, and the eat less, move more and the optimum foraging strategy all sort of within the context of the other things that you talk about in the book, sleep, stress, and community, which we're going to, we're going to talk about next. So, and also like these, like the whole before and after picture scene, like we, it made me think of it when you were talking about like the fitness competitions, that, that is like, I know that's what they look like, but that is smoke and mirrors. That is not a sustainable like lifestyle that those people are, are leading up to competition day. And so like, if you follow Rob on Instagram, it's just at, is it Das? How do you say that? Das Rob Wolf. D-A-S-R-O-B-B-W-O-L-F. You'll see some pictures of just like Rob, like out in the field, just like not, you know, like you, you don't have like a competition. That, and so it's like, to me, that is a more like realistic, like indication of this is what, like if you do, if you're doing it right, it shouldn't, you shouldn't have to do this like unsustainable behavior pattern and, you know, like not drink water for 12 hours up to this certain, you know, all this crazy stuff that they do. But people see that and they're like, oh, I want to do what that person does. Whatever they, whatever they endorse, I'm going to do that. And it just doesn't work. So real, real quick, I had a bodybuilding, a competitive bodybuilder friend when I worked uh, for a police department in Oklahoma and, uh, about a month leading up to the competition, he would, I mean, he's a huge guy. 
uh, about a month leading up to the competition, he would go, I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was something like super low fat and super low carb. So basically just like uh, some vegetables and nonstop protein. And he would do like two hours of cardio a day. And the two weeks before a competition, he had to basically like take off of work because he couldn't move yeah, right. he at his house, just, just laying around, just so devoid of energy. And one time, uh, uh, the state, uh, tactical competition came up and he went with us because he's on the team, but he couldn't participate in any of the events. He basically just sat in a lawn chair the whole time. This gigantic, you'd look at him and be like, man, that guy's huge. He could rip a tree out of the ground, but he can't even like muster up the strength to do like a ropes course or anything like that because he's just getting ready for that competition it's so yeah. unbelievably unsustainable but i'm sorry right. go ahead mark yeah, yeah so so the four inputs of health that we talk about a lot is sort of the uh, you know the simply human lifestyle we, we talk about movement and you talk in the book too and we've talked on the show about not not necessarily calling it exercise let's let's call it movement um sleep stress management or we call it enjoy life and then the nutrition stuff and so you add in like the community aspect of it so let's talk a little bit about about that and how i think and i and i've i've read these uh articles on studies about you know not having community can be as bad for your health as like smoking um right so let's talk about community and and if you you know kind of how that falls into all this uh sort of um the global view of being as healthy as you can be yeah sure you know i wish in some ways that we could just talk about the food and this was the one thing that we had to worry about. But there's a reality that how we sleep and when we sleep, which relates to photo period, is a factor on how our neuroregulation of appetite works. And then our activity level and the types of activity or lack of activity influences the neuroregulation of appetite. Um, the community piece, which within that I, I see the gut biome, our relationship to the world at large, our, our fellow human beings, and maybe even the, the other critters, like that's our, our community piece. And all of those things play into our relative stress levels, which again, it all feeds back into that neuroregulation of appetite. If you're in a pretty mellow space, you just tend to, to not be as driven towards dodgy food choices. And again, this makes really good sense. If you're under a lot of stress, it makes sense that you want to eat anything that's not nailed down because, you you know, it, it, in our not so distant past, uh, a significant amount of stress could have been a, a factor that, that could have meant the end of the line for you. And, and you know, having adequate uh, calories and nutrition would have made a, a huge difference. And so, yeah, I, I um, much to the chagrin of my publishers, like the, the book ends up being like 400 pages and we still had to cut. A lot of stuff out but we we talk a ton about food but these other pillars of health the the sleep slash photo period movement and community are really critical to get all of this stuff together and the community piece is interesting you know we have a lot of people who feel um kind of connected because of social media but really they're not getting legitimate human connection like there's some pretty good studies indicating like what social media does is whittle away the time that we could have spent with real people. <laughs> right. And then it leaves us wanting more. And this is maybe just a quick little diversion here, but the people who develop things like Facebook and Twitter that uh, develop these legitimately addictive uh, social media and app platforms, they study evolutionary biology, evolutionary psychology, neuroscience to figure out how to make this stuff more sticky. The food producers that make things like snack wells and, and, you know, little Debbie snack cakes and all this type of stuff, they study evolutionary yeah, biology, the same thing. you know, neurophysiology to understand how to make this stuff more cocaine-like for us. So the people who are profiteering from our suffering <laughs> really get this story. The gatekeepers who are basically the medical professionals, and, and I've got to soften that a little bit, there's a lot more people you know, in the healthcare scene that are savvy to this ancestral approach. But as a standard of care, the vast majority of the gatekeepers, the people who are responsible for helping us protect our health and, and be, you know, uh, be on a good track, they think that the ancestral health approach is lunacy. So the people who are profiteering from us understand this story. The people who are supposed to protect us don't even acknowledge the story has relevance. And so just, just as yeah, that is so with that. frustrating 
too. And it's all, yeah. So it's like social media and all that is kind of like hyper palatability in the community and the social stuff. It's like, it's just like, it's, it's a hitting things that aren't like in, in ways they're not wired to be, to be consumed, I guess, by, by our brains. So it's like, right. kind of like you said, like you're getting all this, Oh, I have, th- I have 1500 friends on Facebook but you're wanting more because you're not Rocking getting, it's like Rick and I talked about on the last show, like when you're watching like a show with your significant other and they're sitting there like on their phone, uh, like scrolling through Facebook and you're like, Hey, we're wa- you know, we're trying to, we're watching the show here. It's quality time here. You know, you're like sitting next to someone and then they're, they're like in this world of, uh, you know, thousands of other people that they're interacting with, but it's not the same. Um, so, uh, let's see. Yeah. Golly, there's so much to get to like gut biome. And then, um, you know, sleep and stress. Just quickly, I know we talk a lot about sleep on the show, and like, and I've I've been preaching the orange glasses and, uh, you know, turning your phone off in cold, dark rooms. I have a sleep mask. I use the mindfold that I first heard about from Mark Sisson, and I have like three of them, and I just have them like all over the house. I never know where I'm going to end up. You know, with kids, you just, I might end up on the floor right. in the living room or something. So I've got one in there. Um, and we actually have these really cool lights, um, that will, we've got them strategically placed. So like when the sun goes down, we, t- we like dim these lights and then they can, you can turn them to like an orange, like, and you can, you can control it with your phone. Um, and so then we have these like led lights, you know, these like candles for the, um, uh, for the girls, like when they're brushing their teeth and getting ready for bed and all that kind of stuff. So let's just kind of talk about, you know, and it's not, people think, Oh, I'm just gonna I'm gonna be in bed for eight hours, and that is gonna you know solve this problem that I'm having um, that I'm not getting enough sleep. Well, that's just like saying, you know, I'm gonna just I'm gonna take vitamin D supplements, and then I'm gonna be fine. You know, it's like there's so much more that goes into it as far as like the light stuff. So let's talk about you know people not getting enough light exposure during the day and then getting too much at night. Yeah, and you know this is one of these things that it, you could maybe argue that our change in photo exposure is even greater than our change in, in diet, uh, you know, over the last say like hundred years, like there, there's maybe been a bigger change, you know, since, um, the electric light bulb, which is really amazing, you know, and again, um, electricity and the electric light bulb democratized education and entertainment and, you know, provided access for lots and lots of people to do different things. But this was also the beginning of shift work and, and, uh, some really fascinating stuff has has happened as a consequence of this because like every other critter on the the planet we really respond powerfully to the the light dark cycles and these things set up uh you know reproductive signaling and hormones and appetite and it, it's pretty clear that as we start deviating away from uh you know wake up when the sun comes up go to bed when the sun goes down as we start deviating away from that and in two pieces to that, like during the day, even if it's a cloudy day, if you go outside, you get a remarkable amount of light exposure, yeah. um, much, much more so than you, you could get from being indoors. But then the flip side of that is when we should be in evening or nighttime, it only takes a very small amount of light to continue sending signals to your brain that it's still daylight, which is very confusing to the hypothalamus and our internal clocks and it tends to cause stress and it tends to make us insulin resistant. And there's some pretty good research that suggests that, you know, one night of missed or short disordered sleep makes you as insulin resistant as a type two diabetic. Now you can undo that by doing some exercise and by actually getting a good night's sleep. But when you look at particularly like police, military fire, um, our medical professionals, anybody that does shift work, new parents, um, these folks that are, are battling an altered circadian rhythm, an altered kind of photo period experience, they get insulin resistant and feel like hell pretty quickly. And they have, this is where the nutritional stuff becomes critically important for these folks because they can't potentially control the photo period as much as what we'd like. But they, the one thing they can really button up is the, the food piece. But yeah, the, the photo period is just incredibly important. And it's funny, the, the people that I get the most pushback from that are the the real hard chargers, whether it's like a corporate CEO or more of like a spec ops, like seal or Delta guy that are like, Oh man, you sleep when you're dead. Like I'm, yeah. I'm hard. I can do this stuff. And it's like, yeah, you maybe 
are on, you know, a couple of standard deviations outside the norm of relatively being able to deal with this. But all it means is that you break later. It doesn't mean that you right. don't break. Well, that's what so. I always tell, like, when I like talk to college students about this stuff, it's like, you can you can you can get like very little sleep for a period, but your body is going to get its sleep. You you know at some point, you, whether it's you know like shorting shortening your life or getting sick, and for three days all you want to do is sleep. Um, so uh, yeah, God, there's so much. I, I want to respect your time here. I, I do have some fun questions I want to get to. Oh, um, and yeah. also, if you go to to Rob's Instagram, you will see pictures of the aforementioned Rhodesian Ridgeback that has quite literally the largest feet of any dog of all time. Unbelievable. He's, he's pretty good size. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, okay, here we go. Um, Rick, are you still there? I'm still here. I was wondering if one of your fun questions was going to be like, Rob, uh, Talked about uh, Israel and Palestine, yeah. state solution. What, like, how are we going to fix this? That's a fun question. Yeah, no, definitely not. Um, it's going to be stuff like this. What is your favorite body part? A, of, <laughs> of mine or someone else's? It's, you get to choose. Oh man. Um... Feels like this is a trap, Rob. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll pass. I'll, I'll actually pass on that one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what? I'll, I'll do a. Uh... Sneaky circumvention, spinal erectors. Oh, that's a good one. That's a good one, erectors. Um, th- this this stop, question. Stop, stop, stop. You, you had me at erectors. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's, um, uh, there was a our news article that came out a couple weeks ago. It went viral. It was in my city. There was a rattlesnake in a toilet. Um, <laughs> and that, I think, if someone asked me, what is your worst fear, it's probably get like looking down and like seeing a rattlesnake. In, instead of my poo so like what is your I, like what is your worst fear oh man my worst fear um i guess it, at this point um you know something horrible happening to my daughters would Dude. be my worst like i i would put that a uh, above and beyond like i i could imagine some pretty horrific uh you know occurrences that i could experience but knowing that my kids experience that and then having to live with that, I think would be worse. Yeah. That, this is as, as parents, you, it's like you say, you can't explain this to you unless you have, a, have children. There's just this, always this like pressing weight of that fear. Like every time I think like my kids go to bed, I'm like, okay, we got, we got through one more day without some crazy right. catastrophe, <laughs> you know, like, Oh, so that, that's another one. But I think rattlesnake in the toilet, is still is still that's, number one. That's, that's pretty aggressive. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's, that's okay. Cool. Here's a tough one. What is your middle name? James. Oh, very good. James. Oh, middle name. I'm writing that down. Um, okay, Rick. We got to do something else too after I finish these. Uh, just let me think of it. Uh, your favorite song of all time. Favorite song of all time, man. Um, ambushing you with these questions. Hmm. That's a that's a tough one. Uh. You know what? Um, Love Spreads by the Stone Roses might be right up there. Oh, my gosh. Love Spreads. Maybe that'll be the intro music uh, to the show this yeah. week, right? Oh, dude, it's, it's really <laughs> good. It has an amazing guitar intro. It is oh. really good. Yeah, so our uh, Vinny Tortorich is the one who, like... Uh, gave us the idea for the intro music of uh, that we used for like three years and it was humans being by van halen since we're doing like simply humans so we use that forever and then rick i don't know if you listened to the show that we put out yesterday but i use i did a we're an american band intro just because i like that little drum riff at the beginning so that really has no human connection yeah okay rob are you typically late early or on time typically on time and and very uh, very much stressed out to not be on time. Yes, this is my Northern European <laughs> tendencies. Okay, and now the two more questions, um, Rick. We're gonna we do this thing when we have people on. We guess their birthday, and we each are gonna get yeah, two it's... two guesses. <laughs> and you can either choose to not give us like, "Ooh, that was close," or "Not even close," or just sit there and say yes or no. So um, I'll go first. Is it uh, is your birthday uh, today, February sixteenth? It is not. Okay, Rick. Okay, I'm going to go June 9th. <laughs> Just about 50% off. I'm going to go okay. December 8th. Closer. Oh, 
Okay, this is set up for Rick. Uh, I'm going to go a little bit opposite. I'm going to go January 7th. Hmm. Getting a little closer. I'll, I'll give you a hint. It's the day that gold was discovered in California. April. Oh, well, of course. That's going to be Jan- uh, yeah, no, yeah. Sorry. Well, we're out of guesses. Okay, What's our, your birthday? We've had our two. What, yeah, what is uh, it? January 24th. January 24th. Oh, my okay. gosh. That's my dad's birthday. Oh, okay. Okay. Oh, How crazy. Mark, I promise. Big, 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 my big my big brothers, big I have tw- shut up. I have twin brothers. Their birthday is today. My dad's birthday is January twenty fourth. That is a true story. Um, there's one other thing. Uh, oh, when you said June ninth, <laughs> June ninth. Uh, Aaron uh, McKenzie, Brian's wife. Her birthday is June ninth. Uh, I I love birthdays. I don't know. Uh, really weird that you know all of everyone's birthday <laughs> you've ever met. And Rob, uh, Rick's is Leap Day. It's February 29th. How weird is that? Oh, you know our our uh, our nanny is is also huh? uh, leap day how about yeah that? so it, she's either like 56 <laughs> or like 11 yeah or yeah you could say like rick is like you know nine birthdays old or something yeah right. so uh, i share a birthday with your nanny and the person who invented the submarine so there we go <laughs> hey, all right that's Let kind of go. obscure i don't know who really can take credit for that um okay I, last I okay I so <laughs> Okay, this is something that we ask everybody too, and it's what is one thing you enjoy about life or something you do to make life more enjoyable? Doesn't have to be mm. anything like health or nutrition related, just, just something that you enjoy. Totally random. Definitely like taking a moment to count one's blessings seems to be really, really powerful in that regard. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I uh, yeah, yeah, like if I start feeling stressed out or feeling like, life is dealing me a rough hand and I'll, I'll sit and think about everything good that I have going on. And yeah. it's like, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm being a wimp. I need to uh, toughen up a little bit. <laughs> awesome. Okay. Promote yourself. Where can everybody find you? We already talked about the Instagram at Das Rob Wolf. And then where, where else can people find you? Uh, robwolf.com is probably the best place to track me down. I have links to my uh, social media locations like Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and all that jive. The, the book is coming out. Uh, Wired to Eat is due for release March 21st. It's available for pre-order everywhere books are sold. And if you do pre-order it, I don't know exactly when this podcast is going up, but if you pre-order it, then there's going to be an option for pinging us your receipt, either like a scan deal photo or, or electronic receipt. And then there's a bunch of swag that we're we're giving out with cool. that. Like there's a, a workbook. There's a special interview with Dr. William Cromwell, who's the head of cardiovascular disease research at LabCorp, and two or three other things in there that I, I forget what they are. But uh, some pretty cool swag for the people that pre-ordered the book. And now I I know like uh, your your people talk to my people, and they asked if we could. Uh release the podcast between March 13th and 23rd. But do you care since it is available for pre-order if it's before March 13th? Um, or, uh, you can kind of float it whenever you want to. The, the powers that be have uh, convinced me that the optimum time for people to buy the book is, is within that window. Cause if it's too early, then people are like, I'll come back to it right. and get it later so they don't do yeah. it and all that well, stuff. Well, then we can so, wait. We can do yeah. March 13th. That's good. We can just yeah. like build it up to yeah. our listeners. Um, yeah. And yeah, so the, the Rick, the book that I got, I guess uh, Squatchy sent me like a, is it, what does he call it? Like a, gal- a galley book or something? Or mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. so it's like, it doesn't have like the, in the chapter, it doesn't have the pages. It just has like zeros. And it's like, uh, so I, didn't, I didn't realize that. And like, so it's like a pre- like a, a proof book and it says on there like not for resale like i that was, that was kind of cool um to get like ah. uh that i didn't know they did that they printed books and they're like all right this is just a pre-book <laughs> yeah that's that's kind of the last hail mary editing yeah like you see what it looks like and you know any final things that we can catch that are are goofy um and i i, I the way that the book finishes out compared to the one that you have, um, I really managed to streamline the introduction because the the publishers were great people, but they uh, they're used to dealing with ghost written books, which means that they're super formularic. And the fact that mine is basically like a novel, like you need chapter one to get chapter two to get chapter three, like they were so freaked out about that. Right. They had no idea what to, to do with it. And it was kind of a battle. So, yeah. <laughs> Awesome. Well, Rob, I know you, especially now as you're um, 
you're promoting the book and everything. You're doing this like all day, every day. You've been working really hard on this. I just thank you for your time and for talking about something that I know you probably have uh, uh, palate fatigue talking about. Um, so <laughs> Every time you meet anyone, they ask us. They ask you the exact same questions we ask. No, us, you like, you oh, guys oh, did a you guys did a really you know um, I usually float like a battery of questions to folks and um, they're good questions. But I have done a number of podcasts now, and it, at some point you're kind of like, holy. The, the problem that I experience is I'm like, did I already tell that story right. yet, or was that a different <laughs> podcast? You know, so you guys really broke it up. This was actually a, a complete, you know. Breath of fresh air. Nice. So, well, that's you. what we're. Yeah. I take one hundred percent credit for that. Thank you. <laughs> Shut up, Frank. Awesome. All right. Well, uh, really appreciate this. Uh, have a great day. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, guys. Take care. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.